Hi, friends, and welcome inside Cubby Sports Bar and Grill. We are live for the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show. It is semifinal week in the FCS playoffs, and then there were four on Friday night. It'll be North Dakota State and Incarnate Word, and on Saturday, South Dakota State will host Montana State. The winner of those two games will meet in Frisco in January to decide the national championship. I'm Tyler Merriam, joined by the head coach of the Yellow and Blue, who not only is the Missouri Valley Football Conference Coach of the Year, but I will embarrass him because it was announced earlier last week that he has won the Eddie Robinson Award as the Coach of the Year in all of the FCS. The one and only Thanks. John Stigelmeyer. Congratulations. Thanks. It's, uh, you know, in football, and, and this isn't coach speak, in football, there are so many people that are involved. So any any coaching honor, uh, unless it's an assistant coach, and specifically what you do as an assistant, it, it's really a team award. So, um, you know, you can't say that when when it's, uh, you know, you're uh, all-conference off, offensive lineman. That's your job. You did it. You, or you earned it. But for me, it's uh, all those guys doing all that work that allows us to have success. Let's go back a little bit here because we've got a full hour here to talk, and we're going to get into the win over Holy Cross, and we'll get into the preview of Montana State. But we have a little time to digest some things, and with some of the things that have happened uh, as far as Jackrabbits in the news in the past week, uh, we're going to hit on some of this. So I want to go back to the genesis of this. When did you first decide you wanted to be a coach? Uh, well, I, I was going to be a, a math teacher and, and a high school coach, which I did for three years. But uh, it was my second year of being a student coach at South Dakota State. I didn't play college football. And uh, I was just, I wasn't a, a very, uh, a very conservative background, very sheltered background, if you will. And so I never, I didn't think big. I didn't think. Uh, about dreams I just thought about you know this is what I want to do and uh, I was standing on the football and I was looking at the coaches and I thought wouldn't that be cool to just be a coach and so I went in to talk to John Gregory and uh, he gave me two things for advice I've told this story a bunch he said get your master's in physical education and I was a math major at the time so <laughs> going going opposite directions I ended up doing that got a d double major and then got my master's and then he said don't get married and I just got engaged. And I never asked him why. I understood the masters because a lot of guys taught. They all taught in those days at Division Two level. But the 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 the, the marriage thing was uh, indirectly. He was saying it's really hard on a family. Coaching in football is really hard. The hours, the recruiting. It's gotten much better because of the rules. But uh, uh, a special guy, and and it really changed my trajectory in my life. I bring that up because uh, John Gregory passed away uh, just the other day, a uh, longtime football coach. Uh, for those who don't know his story, he was the head coach here at South Dakota State, as Stig just mentioned, during the uh, mid-70s through the mid-80s. In fact, he was the head coach for the Jackrabbits for their only Division II playoff appearance in the fall of 1979. Uh, he would go on to coach other places. He coached uh, in the Arena Football League, coached Kurt Warner, had a great amount of success north of the border, coaching in Canada in the CF as well but uh, he was known as diesel I never got the opportunity to get to know him I know he was called diesel in part because uh, that engine would get revved up sometimes and he was a unique individual I know the other story is and we have some video of this that uh, he had a traditional little straw cowboy hat that he would put on uh, on the sidelines and so uh, what else can you tell us about John Gregory um, you know I would say you know I, I was again very very simple uh, when I was in college and so uh, I would go to every meeting I could and uh, and and uh, he was very organized. They literally 
in those days, they literally had these coaching outfits and they decided what color shorts, what color shirt they were going to wear for practice. And I thought I didn't have those. So I just wore whatever I had, but I thought that, that, you know, that was my first example of coaching, but very organized, very intense. That's the diesel part. Um, wore the, the hat, the cowboy hat when the game was in hand. Uh, yeah, he wouldn't put it on at the start of the game. It was kind of like the Red Auerbach uh, cigar for the Boston Celtics way back when. He would light it up when they had a win. Gregory put that hat on when he felt like the Jacks had a game in hand. Yep. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, I was sitting in uh, the coaching a football class, and he said, "You want to be if you want to really learn football, be a student coach." And and again, I didn't do anything in those days, so I thought, why not? I wasn't thinking about being a college coach at that time. And he assigned me to Mike Daly, who's one of my greatest, if not the greatest, football mentor. And uh, so they're on the same staff. And Mike always jokes, you know, I grew up nine man, eight man, and nine man football. The first formation I drew up had eleven or had twelve guys on it. And, He's uh, told me that story. Yeah. He, he, he tells that story every chance he gets. By <laughs> the way. So, but a, a great, a great, great, uh, two great men in in, in my life. And uh, I've always tried to thank these guys to every two, three years to to uh, uh, let them know that how appreciative I am of them. And it is a little ironic here because you and I were part of an email chain uh, last week because Phil Ingle passed away and Phil was uh, a member of the staff with John Gregory and folks were looking to get Ingle's family in touch with, with John's family to let them know that he had passed, that it turns out that John passes away a few days later. But Phil Ingle, another individual that uh, meant a lot uh, in the history of Jackrabbit football. Yeah, he's All-American here, I believe. Uh, ended up getting drafted uh a big teddy bear type guy, uh, 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 just a, uh, unbelievable. So he was on the he was on the staff when I was a student coach. Mike Daly goes to North Dakota State. He takes him to North Dakota State. They go different directions. They end up at Wisconsin together, and I go in GA for him. And I'm 31 years old at Wisconsin. I'm I'm older than half the staff, and uh, which is fine. You know, Craig Bowl was on that staff, the coach at Wyoming. Levy Smith, the coach for the Houston uh, the Texans. Uh, Don Morton was the head coach. But but the thing I remember about Phil is Phil made me feel like a full timer, you know, as a GA. And and uh, they had a tradition there that every Sunday, Mort Don Morton would buy the coaches malts, and a GA had to go. And Phil would apologize when I had to go. He said, "You know, I, you don't really have to do this." I said, "I I, I signed up for the, this and, and do it." But Phil was a great great man, and uh, it, and, and you know, again, uh, this is powerful. I think. Um, uh, Billy Graham said a coach will impact more people in a year than most people impact in a lifetime. And those are two very impactful people we're talking about. Yeah, so obviously thoughts go out to the families of John Gregory and Phil Lingle, who uh, both, uh, you look back at Jackrabbit football history, again, going back to the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and you'll find their names intertwined in a lot of some of the great moments and great teams uh, in Jackrabbit football history. But uh, you've got yourself a good football team here and uh, a nice win on Saturday over Holy Cross. And before we delve into all of it, just touching it from a 10,000-foot perspective, that's a Holy Cross program. We had talked about how they weren't just happy to be here. They believed they could compete, and they more than competed. I mean, they're kicking a field goal to take the lead on the opening snap of the fourth quarter. Yeah, that you know, they, I think uh, a program like that, and Co- Coach has done a great job of building that program. We played them, you know, a year ago in the spring, mm-hmm. and uh, that's not easy. I mean, the school there is very expensive. And it's and academically, you have to, have, you know, the guys that go there all qualify for our highest academic scholarship, everybody that goes to that school. And so, and we, and we have good student athletes, but it, it's, a, it's an Ivy League type of mentality. And so that's, that, that, 
that conference hasn't had a lot of success, and so they come in there to try to prove something. They are seed. That was the number. That was the first thing they proved, and they played a great game, coached a great game, and feel fortunate. We feel fortunate to get that win. Jack's a 42-21 winner. We'll talk about that uh, contest coming up. We'll preview Montana State. We've already got a number of questions. If you've got some, you can certainly send them our way, either on social media or bring them up to the table here at Cubby Sports Bar and Grill. A lot more to come as we get ready for semifinal Saturday at Dana J. Dykow Stadium. Stay tuned. You're listening to the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show on the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. Welcome back to Cubby Sports Bar and Grill as the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show continues on this Tuesday night. Thanks for joining us. Show brought to you in part by First Bank and Trust. Let's be real. You earn, you save, you plan, and you protect. First Bank and Trust offering smart and savvy financial solutions for where you are now and where you want to go. First Bank and Trust, real banking, real easy, a member FDIC. Obviously, the weather is less than ideal here in South Dakota today and will be for much of the week. Uh, I know here in Brookings, school canceled. The finals were shifted to remote uh, for today and uh, tomorrow as well to wrap up the semester. And so not ideal conditions, and yet, Stig, we still have the majority of the regulars out here at Cubbies. So great turnout to hear what you have to say leading into Saturday. Well, really, uh, they should give themselves a hand. Unbelievable turnout for this kind of weather. And and I really think the athletic department should buy them all, like hors d'oeuvres or a beer or a pop or something. Don't you think Justin would be fine with that? I think it's uh, that's an idea, uh, you know. <laughs> that's certainly one, but... Uh, I, you forget, I I am on the administrative side. You forget that. So I have to walk the line a little bit on things. Yeah, well, you sway that way. I, let's just roll along, shall we? Uh, the Jackrabbit football team defeats Holy Cross on Saturday in the FCS quarterfinals. And uh, let's talk about the crowd aspect of this. And from one side of things, you'd love to have more than the number you have. However, the number that were there, I was literally amazed because I've been there for a lot of playoff games. You know, this is 12 now at Data J. Dykow Stadium. Uh, and we've seen some uh, some crowds that can make an impact on a game. But that's as loud of a playoff atmosphere as I've heard. It was, it was loud the week before. It was loud again on Saturday. The folks that are coming are making a lot of noise. They're into that game, and they should be applauded. Yeah, you know, it's not uh, with the kind of weather and, and, and so on. The, it's not the fair weather person that you know wants to go to one or two games. These are the diehards, the ones that that are ice fishing and snowmobiling, and and they got the gear and they want to come and support the Jacks. And I would agree with you. I thought the intensity, of the noise was tremendous, and, and our guys appreciate that. And just going into this game, we've discussed it before, but I think it bears repeating. There are few things in college football that are more difficult to defend than a true quarterback run game. Why is that? Well, because um, you you have a two-back offense, right? In in a normal in the, in the old days, you had a quarterback with a fullback and, and and a back, and the quarterback would simply hand it off, and you had this lead blocker, and you had one extra defensive guy you could add to the defense because there were two backs in the backfield. Now you take a guy out of there, you you run. 11 personnel, three wide receivers, one tight end. The back now becomes a fullback. The quarterback's the running back, and you're minus a guy. And so if you can run a if you can run a power and pull a guy, lead up, you're many times short. on, uh, on And that's what happened 
uh, on their long touchdown. We weren't short necessarily, but our guy didn't get to the right spot, but it's a tough play to defend. Well, I bring that up because it works twofold, because you, as your offense is concerned, has utilized that to your advantage with Mark Gronowski as well. So it's something you're able to exploit on offense, but have to figure out how to control on defense. Yeah, and, and, and for us, it's uh, seven, eight, six times a game for uh, Holy Cross. It's we're going to run the quarterback and win this football game. And they understood that. And, and, and that young man's a, a tough guy and a very athletic guy and uh, a very good football player. And, 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 and let's face it, the most frustrating thing is most is uh, the majority of his yards came on uh, scrambles. All right. Where, where you're not playing run defense. They're not doing what I just talked about. They're literally, he's literally saying they're back 10 yards. They haven't tackled me yet. I'm going to take off. And we didn't tackle him. You know, it's, it's second and 19 and he gets the first down on a scramble because we didn't leverage him and grab cloth and so on. So, but he's a good football player. Uh, certainly over the years, there's been great individual performances by Jackrabbits and against Jackrabbits as well. Uh, there's only a handful that really stick with me as like the the upper echelon of performances. And we'll talk about one of them, Tommy Malott, and what he did last year in the semifinals. But Matthew Slukas is right up there. I mean, what he did on Saturday was just he almost single-handedly, like you're saying on those scrambles, he, it's not designed. He's making it up on his own. He almost single-handedly put Holy Cross in a position to reach the semifinals. He did, and uh, and, he, and he'd done that all year long. He yeah. didn't have to that was maybe their tougher game and because and they were undefeated and we ended up beating them. But uh, that was their philosophy. That's the type of guy he is. And it, it's kind of interesting. I, I searched him out at the end of the game and I asked him, uh, you know, what's his major? And he said, uh, psychology. And I said, what are you going to do with that? And he goes, nothing. I want to play in the NFL. <laughs> so he's oh. a pretty focused uh, young man. So. And I tell you what, he keeps playing like that. He's going to have that opportunity to play on Sundays. The way this game starts out, you, you documented the fact Sluka had the long touchdown run offense moved the football well up until you got inside the 30-yard line, and then Holy Cross's defense stood up, and you settled for three field goals. And so you're moving the football, but, of course, in the end, it's about getting seven, and you weren't getting seven right away. Yeah, the the, the positive is uh, we moved the ball. The, the the negative was we didn't finish. And, you know, the first two, I think the first two, we, we started out with a fade, one to one of the Yankees, one to, to Tucker, and uh, there's some contact and so on, and we didn't make the play, and they did. And so I think those both those situations, we lost our focus. Everybody's yelling about pass interference, and that's not the, the type of football team we are. we got to refocus. we got to play in the present and come back and make a, a great play that wins the football game. And then Holy Cross, this was something Jimmy Rogers, defensive coordinator, had said going in, hey, look, we know they're going to have a few tricks up their sleeve and we're going to do our best to contain those, but they might get us on one or two. That's just the realistic situation of what you're stepping into. And on fourth and short, they call the pop pass where they hand it off to Tyler Purdy, the running back, who makes one step, then jumps into the air and lobs a pass to an open tight end, Sean Morris, for a touchdown to give him a 14-6 to lead. And you almost just have to tip your hat to the opposition in that case. Um, yeah, great call, uh, great execution, uh, a lack of focus on our part. Okay. You know, you've got, you've got the tight end, he blocks down, you put your hands on him, you look and you don't, you don't, it's not, you can't hold him, but you, you keep him there. If he takes off, you take off with him. If you don't put your hand on him, you're playing with your eyes, jokes over in, in their favor. And, and again, those are all teaching things that, uh, uh, a little late in the season, but we can still learn from those. Well, so they take a 14-6 lead at that point, and then in the second quarter, you respond after that 14-6 advantage taken 
uh, by Holy Cross with a nice drive. And I think one play that gets lost in the shuffle here is you're facing third and nine at the Holy Cross 12. You've already settled for three field goals. And Mark Gronowski, similar story to what we've talked about with Sluka, makes a play on his own and runs and dives and gets you a first down, which sets you up for a touchdown run. That's a little play that isn't a headliner, but it was a big play in the game. Well, uh, yesterday when we went over the difference maker plays, that was one of them. Okay. You know, that got us in position and not be frustrated again kicking a field goal. And that was really a bootleg. He was supposed to throw to Tucker, and Tucker was covered. And, then, and again, the game moves really slow for Mark Gronowski because of how hard he works and how talented he is, and he, he made a decision. And there was no dancing at that point. He got the first down and, and was smart about it. And then the next play, Isaiah Davis, a three-yard touchdown run, and you follow that up by going for two to tie the game. Did we look at the card to decide we go for two? What was the decision-making yeah, process? Yeah, we look at the card. You know, when we started that series, I had told Zach we're going to go for two. So the offense was on the field and knew we were going to go for two. Many times, especially in a big play, you know, later on in the game or something, and you're coming back, guys get excited, and they run off, they don't even look. But these guys, our guys knew we were going for two. So it's 14-14 game. Each team punts. Holy Cross is taking over deep in its own territory with less than two minutes left. And uh, it's easy to say, hey, just run the football, let it run out and, and get to halftime in a tie game. Bob Chesney's team says, no, we're here to win. We're going to take a chance. We're going to uh, try to move the football. And on second down, uh, Matthew Sluka throws a pass over the middle. That's a little high for uh, Asir Asante. He goes up. Can't come up with the football, and it goes through his hands. Jason Freeman picks it off, and Freeman looked like he'd done this a time or two before. It's his first collegiate interception as a Jackrabbit, though, and he rumbles 37 yards for a touchdown, which gives you a seven-point lead going into halftime. That You know, that was a huge play uh, momentum-wise, awkwardly at momentum, you know, at the end of the first half, but still going in the locker room. But but just, just getting seven points and them not being able to march the field and end the half like that, so a huge play in the game. All right, so that's the halftime score, 21-14. SDSU leads Holy Cross. What's that locker room like? Was it different than any other locker room at the half? No, no, our, our locker rooms have been the same. I mean, behind the head, it's been very mature, very focused. Uh, the things that are being said are well thought out, uh, you know, and so it's not guys just talking. And uh, and then I say a few words, we go out. Coaches are coaching their guys, making adjustments. So, uh, again, this football team, I don't know better, whatever, but uh, they're very they're very focused and very mature and know how to handle all situations. All right, we're going to step aside at this point. We'll discuss the second half of this game, preview Montana State, and answer your questions as well as the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show rolls along. We're live from Cubby Sports Bar and Grill, and you're listening to the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. Back inside Cubby Sports Bar and Grill. Great to have you with us for the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show here at your Jackrabbit Game Day headquarters. Of course, you can stop by Cubbies before or after the FCS semifinal playoff game on Saturday. You can do it before and after the wrestling contest with SDSU hosting uh, Nebraska in a battle of nationally ranked teams on Sunday. You've got women's basketball at home on Monday and Wednesday. May have men's basketball tomorrow night at Frost Arena as well. We'll see with the weather and whatnot. Hopefully Bellevue can make it up here. But Cubbies is your place to be. It also is the place to call right now to get yourself a $10 gift card if you're listening. Be the third caller at 605-696-7978. Third caller wins a $10 gift card, 605-696-7978. Tyler Merriam, head coach John Stigelmeyer with us. SDSU led Holy Cross 21-14 at halftime. 
and then Holy Cross puts together two very impressive drives in the third quarter. And you look at the statistical breakdown of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, and it's phenomenal how one-sided each of these quarters were. In the third quarter, Holy Cross operated 23 plays. SDSU had three. The Crusaders outgained the Jacks 137-6. to I mean, it's all Holy Cross. They score a touchdown. You go three and out. They put together another long drive. Really, the difference is you stop them on third down on the last play of the third quarter, and they wait to switch sides so they have the wind at their back for a a go-ahead field goal, the first snap of the fourth quarter, and miss it. And so all that time of possession, all those yards, yet they only gained seven points from them, but they had the ball almost the entire third quarter. Yeah, and and again, uh, they're a good football team, and and they had – uh, they were on a roll and, and we were on our heels a little bit and, and hadn't hadn't stopped their quarterback yet. Uh, he didn't have a great throwing percentage, but again, he averaged a ton of yards on his scrambles and, and, and called runs. And so uh, lucky to get out of it probably with, with that score. It did seem, and it's easy for me to say this sitting way up top watching it, but it seemed like that missed field goal, for whatever reason, kind of swung the momentum. Like they were on the verge of, of taking control isn't the right term, but certainly taking the lead early in the fourth quarter. That's huge as the underdog. They missed it, and it just seemed like everything started to go your way from that point forward. Yeah, you know, I don't know about momentum. I, I think uh, uh, play here, play there. Yeah, get you fired up and get you believing and so on. And I know this, uh, the defense, when they're out there that long and they miss the field goal, that's huge for them. Now, they're not taking the field. They're coming off the field, but it's huge for them in terms of believing in what they've done. And again, so we talk about the third quarter was 137 yards to six in favor of Holy Cross. The fourth quarter, SDSU gains 179 yards Holy Cross 62, and half of that comes on the last drive when you're up 21 points with a couple of minutes left. So the fourth quarter, the offense was sensational. And just to, again, put things in perspective, a nine-play, 78-yard touchdown drive gives you the lead. And how about the play by Jackson Yonke to score the go-ahead touchdown? Mark Gronowski throws it to him in space. And how many times have we seen it? You don't need to throw the ball 40 yards to Jackson Yonke. Just get him the football, and he'll find a way to do the rest. Well, and uh, both those guys are so strong when when one, one, one guy's trying to tackle him. And I think, if I remember correctly, he took a guy into the end zone. Uh, with them and just uh, it, it's a good bet when they have the ball in their hands so and we speak of the offense but defensively Holy Cross was starting to put a drive together gets near midfield you make a couple of plays behind the line of scrimmage I remember in particular where it seemed like half the defense met Sluka right around midfield for a big loss then they get a penalty and eventually have to punt it back to you yeah and I think that was the same uh, defense same call that Dyshawn got the sack on yep. uh, it's not often you're reading off a d- difference maker plays a guy uh, breaks up a pass and also gets a sack in the game. So, but Dyshawn had a good game. And that, our defense did play better in terms of controlling uh, Saluka in the second half. And so in the fourth quarter, you force that punt. You're driving. You're up 28-21. And we talk about, again, big plays and, and, and how things work in this. You're looking at a second and six just inside the Holy Cross 20. And you fake a handoff. Everybody goes in, and Mark Gronowski runs around the left side. It looked like he could have walked into the end zone to give you a two-score lead. Yeah, good scheme against the defense. You know, uh, I always, you know, I compare uh, a coach coordinators uh, as chess players. You know, you have a good move. Sometimes you have a terrible move, and sometimes you lose yards. Sometimes you get a touchdown, and that was a that was the perfect call for that defense. 
Then you get a fourth down stop, and so with uh, just under two minutes remaining, you're taking over up two scores in Holy Cross territory. Do your best to bleed the clock. They use their timeouts, and so you're sitting on fourth down and eight at the Holy Cross 21-yard line, leading 35-21. And so in this timeout that you take with 45 seconds left, do you try for a long field goal? Do you try for the first down? And if you go for the first down, do you go through the air or not? What's the decision-making process? How involved is Zach Lujan, the offensive coordinator, in this decision? Well, it starts with me, what, what we're going to do. And then, you know, when we decide if it's an offensive play, it's all Zach. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you bringing this up because I've taken some heat uh, through social not? media. I'm a terrible sportsman. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I guess if my wife believes that, I probably am. But she doesn't believe that. So, uh, so here, what do you do? Kick a field goal? You, they block the field goal, run it back for a touchdown. You're an onside kick away from getting being tied or losing on a two-point play. And we should say you've had a couple of field goals blocked. I mean, you have to think about that when you're deciding right. these So things. the field goal's out. That, that was, a, that was a, a no decision. So all those fans, all those coaches that were saying kick the field goal, that's, that's an NG, as my math teacher used to say. Not good. <laughs> okay. All right. So then what do you do? You got to run a play, right? So you just run a play. What's the best play to get a first down? It's a pass. What did he do? He loaded up the box. He put a bunch of tight ends out in, put a wide receiver out there. Great call. Threw it to get the first down. Again, a Yankee with the ball in the hands is a good bet, and he got in the end zone. Yeah. So literally the goal is to get nine yards on fourth and eight, Take and it eight. just so happens that Jaden Yankee made it go for a lot more than nine. Right, right. And and and, and then that play is impossible to get an interception. You can get a ball, you can get a knockdown, but he's going to he's gonna dance a little bit and get inside that corner, and so it's you can get a knockdown, but you're not getting going to get an interception. So it was a great call, great execution. And uh, we we have a postulate. I talked about it. You know, we don't run up the score. So uh, uh, it was it was a good ending to the game. Well, one of the things here that uh, that maybe doesn't jump out in this 42-21 win, unless you get into the details some, you know, you're playing down a cornerback in Malik Lofton, who was out for this game. So you have Dyshawn Gales, Dallas Beanham, who both play a lot typically with Lofton, but those two had to play a little bit more, a little more on their shoulders. Beanham comes up with eight tackles, six of them of the solo variety, breaks up a couple of passes. You mentioned Gales being involved in a variety of plays, a tackle for loss, a, a sack, what a play that was, huge hit, a pass breakup as well. I thought those two really played as if they were trying to prove something. Uh, they uh, they did a great job. They're, they're good players. Dyshawn's all-conference. Uh, Dallas is a great uh, corner you know, he's got a senior in front of him, so he's 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 like a lot of our players. He's has to wait his turn, but he does get to play a lot. And they went out there knowing they're we're down a guy, and so they're going to have to rise up and play. And I, you know, I don't know what uh, motivated them, but they played really well. Is the intent to have a full secondary and a full cornerback position on Saturday? The intent is uh, Malik Lofton will play. Based on our injury report, I don't know if we'll have a full secondary. Okay, but Malik will be back. Okay. Uh, otherwise, Savion Williamson again, a team high nine tackles. What has he meant? to you during this playoff uh, you know I, I just i'm so happy for him because again i talk about pursue your dream i talk about work hard you know stay the course all those things and, and here's a guy that's been behind adam bach you know, you know arguably one of the best linebackers in fcs football uh and and he's waited his turn and adam gets hurt and who rises up every game he's out there savion and and he's playing with uh, confidence he's playing not 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 worried about making a mistake because he knows he's the guy so play free and he's playing better because of that so really happy for him and, and speaking of adam bach and you can't help but laugh at the irony of all this he gets hurt not you don't laugh at the injury he gets hurt 
on the first series up in North Dakota, misses uh, the rest of that game, the final three games of the regular season, works his way back, finally gets out there in the second quarter, and the first snap he's a part of, he goes to make a tackle, makes the tackle, and his helmet comes off. So he's been waiting all this time to play. Now he has to go out of play because his helmet came off. But he ends up getting a controlled number of snaps. Didn't want to play him too much, in part because physical conditioning. He probably isn't quite where he was before the injury. But he's involved in four tackles. One of those, as I just mentioned, on the first snap he's in, a tackle for loss. Just having him around to be able to play, not just be there in person, had to be a lift to that defense. It is. Him being around and not playing is is motivation because guys look at him and know how hard he's worked, and and they then take their reps a lot more seriously. I know they do. And then having him around with pads on, uh, they know how good a player he is and the difference he can make, and and he'll play more reps uh, this game. I don't think he'll play the whole game like he's done a lot of times, but uh, uh, and, and one of the reasons is Savion's playing so well also. Isaiah Davis, 20 rushes, 154 yards and a touchdown. Davis is well over 1,000 yards in his career in playoff games alone. Eight consecutive games with a rushing touchdown. He currently ranks uh, ninth in school history in career rushing yards. He is tied for eighth in school history uh, in career rushing touchdowns. And he has now rushed for 100 or more yards in seven of his 11 playoff games. And then he throws that stiff arm late in the game. <laughs> and Alex Parker next to me in the booth said, well, you, you know, you don't see guys do that. I said, well, there's a reason. If they do it off the field, they'd be thrown in jail. I mean, that's uh, assault and battery. But uh, what Isaiah Davis, uh, the combination of, of speed and power is very unique, and that's what makes him one of the top backs in the nation. Yeah, he's uh, he's, he's a big guy. He's strong. He's very talented. And and when 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 he has a tackler coming at him, whether it's down low or up high, he's going to find a way to get some extra yards. And I'm not sure he stiff armed him. I think he literally threw the guy out of bounds. And so uh, that's a different technique. Uh, but uh, again, and, and then he was mad because he ended up going out of bounds. He wanted more yards. So I, I shouldn't say mad, disappointed. Well, and there was one play, too. We were laughing about it. Uh, Mason McCormick was a pulling guard on a play, and Davis kind of got stood up. Then you get the pile going, and McCormick was in front of him, so McCormick was grabbing him and pulling him forward, and so we decided that's a brand-new turn on the phrase pulling guard in that case. Did you, did people laugh? They just did. Uh, you got to cool. remember, in the booth, it's just Parker and I, and, you know, it's... It, and Parker looked at you like, what? Well, it was a little over his head, yeah. you know, I mean... He's a guard, though. Well, you said it, not me. <laughs> Greenfield, McCormick, Miller, Berenson, O'Brien, the 605 Hogs, what have they meant to you? Uh, well, they've played every rep. Just yes, to, yes, they know. have. Uh, they they are tough guys. Uh, every, every week, one or two of them has some type of a nick, uh, a minor injury, but they just keep playing, playing great, great football. Uh, really feel blessed uh, with O'Brien. You know, the fact that he transferred, we needed insurance, and he's we're, we're cashing in on our insurance. He's doing a great job. Is there anything we haven't touched on in this game that stood out to you? Um, no, but, you know, we were talking about some of our players, and uh, I just read this today, and I don't know uh, if I should rejoice in this, but we're, we're one of two teams that don't have a player in the transfer portal. And uh, wow. Uh, wow. us and Lindenwood. Uh, and so... Uh, I, I'm, 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 that makes me smile internally because that means our culture is one that guys want to be part of. And obviously our playoff run here is, is part of the deal too. 
All right, we'll answer some questions that you guys have. We'll talk about uh, the new batch of All-Americans that were honored earlier today. We'll have the Players of the Week postulate and much more coming up when the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show continues. We are live inside Cubby Sports Bar and Grill here on the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. This is the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show. We are live inside Cubby Sports Bar and Grill with the head coach, I'm Tyler Merriam. The FCS semifinals, South Dakota State hosting Montana State. It will take place at 3 p.m. on Saturday. Tickets are available at jackrabbittickets.com. Some of them were being held for the season ticket holders to have their opportunity to renew, but they're out there now. You can go on and take a look and join us on Saturday and uh, you'll need a jacket of course it'll be one of the colder games uh, that uh, Brookings has ever hosted in fact you you go back in the all-time history books and in 1997 to cap off your first year as the head coach you played Morningside in a game that you won 35 to 20 that is the coldest game on record hosted by the Jacks, going back to when Coughlin Alumni Stadium opened in 1962. The actual temperature was 15 degrees. I was not there. The wind chill was listed as four below. Mike Strzok has told me it's by far the coldest game he ever participated in. But so that's the coldest game on record as far as temperature at kickoff, and this on Saturday could very easily break that. Yeah, but we should break records, right? That's right. We're record-breaking. But, but hey, you know what? When you all bundle together, you're nice and warm. Yeah, the more the merrier. I mean, we put 19,000 people in there. That'll melt the snow if we get them there. So. Uh, rumor has it ears up will warm you up, too. I don't know. It, well, you have to buy a ticket to have one of those. So. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, we do want to uh, acknowledge a couple of things here. First off, the players of the week, the performers in the game, and also the scout teamers that helped you get ready and then defeat Holy Cross in the quarterfinals last Saturday. Yeah, scout offense quarterback Jeff Becker did a great job of uh, uh, imitating, uh, being an example of their quarterback. Scout defense, a corner, Miles Taylor. Scout special teams, linebacker Joe Ullman. Offense, little guy, Isaiah Davis, big guy, Mason McCormick. Defense, we have two. Normally we don't. Dallas Beanham and Reese Winkleman. And then uh, special teams, uh, Coach Coach uh, Erickson really felt that everybody played really well. There wasn't a standout okay. performance, but the units were, were great. And then Tucker Large uh, got the effort award. Earlier today, the Associated Press came out with its FCS All-America team. Four Jackrabbits were on that group. Two of them were offensive linemen, Garrett Greenfield and Mason McCormick. Now let's stop and think about that. The Associated Press gets together all the individuals who cover these schools, and they come up with the five best offensive linemen in the entire FCS. There's over 120 teams. So just by my math, that would be, what, 600 starting offensive linemen, and two of the top five are Jackrabbits. And they're coming back for another year. And they're so coming that's back. That's why I keep smiling. So uh, what a neat honor. Uh I was not aware of that. I hadn't seen that, so uh, you're catching me off guard a little bit. But very, very deserving and two really good people and two really good student-athletes. One more first-teamer, that would be Caleb Sanders on the defensive side of things up front out of Glenwood, Iowa, who his impact is felt well beyond the numbers. Yeah, Caleb is an effort guy. We'll be able to talk about him and his effort, and there'll just be a picture of this guy that was was all business. I don't, I don't know if you watched the interview today, but uh, the Zoom interview yes. conference, and, and Caleb was on. I was walking into the indoor with him, and I said, uh, uh, how did the interview go? Great. And I said, what was your favorite question? He goes, none of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
Uh, Tucker Kraft is the fourth guy there, third team tight end on the All-America team as well. So congratulations to all four of them. Want to make sure we get some time in here, so want to get rolling a little bit. We know you have a postulate, as you I always do. do. I do. Normally, I don't use the name, but I think it's safe to use this name. Uh, the Monty Klinkenberg postulate. Monty ended up uh, coming to school here Was when I was an assistant under uh, Coach Daly. And uh, Monty was an offensive lineman, uh, engineer, a brilliant young man, ended up not being able to finish football because of knee, some knee problems. But I had recruited Monty, gotten to know his family really well, gotten to know their story. And then in those days, you take the head coach into the home uh, for a home visit. Well, uh, they had lost their daughter in a tragic car accident, I think, about a year before this all started happening. And uh, we went into the, and, 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 and it might sound funny, but it wasn't funny. We went into the, the house, and Coach Daly was really good at paying attention to what's going on. And he said, whoa, what a beautiful family. And he asked about their daughter, and then they brought that up, and he jumped to a, the next. And then we went out to the car after the home visit, and he closed the door, and he said, not good, Coach Stiglmeyer. He said, I need to know those things before. And so the point is, uh, uh, when I call a young man, I look at the notes. Yeah. All right. When I when I when we bring a guy on campus, I have their hot, but you know, so so not, I don't need to be smart, but I I want to be able to know their story sure. so that uh, you don't uh, do something bad and you you just make them feel comfortable. And so it was one of those awkward moments that uh, deserves a postulate. All right, we'll preview Montana State and answer your questions when the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show continues. Back to Cubby Sports Bar and Grill in just a moment on the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. Back live inside Cubby Sports Bar and Grill with the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show. Saturday, 3 p.m., SDSU hosts Montana State in the FCS semifinals. We'll preview them, and we'll answer your questions. First off, I want to get your thoughts on former Jackrabbit Pierre Strong Jr., rookie season in the NFL, and on Monday night, his first NFL touchdown on national TV on ESPN. Heck of a thing. Well, I got a, I got a um, text from Dan Feldheim, played quarterback here yeah. late last night. And didn't see it, and so this morning I woke up and and uh, I didn't watch the game. And he said, uh, "Good luck, what a what a great uh, game by Pierre." So I tried to search it out, and there is a clip uh, of all his plays, and it's pretty cool. He does a great job, and and you can see the energy he gives uh, you know, on those plays, the 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 effort, and it, it's really cool to watch. All right, let's get to the questions. Did you feel your team was very prepared for the game on Saturday? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, they didn't do many things different, so it was just two good football teams. Are you aware that Tucker Kraft is listed as the second best tight end and are in the NFL draft? I wish I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> what is your favorite food? Steak and dumplings. What's your favorite holiday tradition? Um, we have a recording of uh, my father-in-law, who's what well, he's passed away, but he's Lutheran pastor, and a recording of him reading the Christmas story out of Luke. Really? And so we listen to that every Christmas. And uh, so they get to hear Grandpa. And the, the grandkids, the great, uh, our grandkids yeah. don't know uh, Grandpa Hookie. And uh, and so we get to do that. And then he prays for our family at the end. And it's really cool just to, to, to go back uh, to the, the old days. Oh, what a wonderful tradition that is. We kind of answered this. What's the coldest game you've coached? You know, uh, you had prepped me on that one. Uh, at, at, at Coughlin, you mentioned it. I don't remember that game. I remember the one at Montana State, the first playoff game yep. recently. That was the temperature dropped like 25 degrees in like 10 minutes uh, when we were out for a walkthrough. But the, the coldest game I coached in was at Northern State uh, in old, old Swisher Field, north of town. 
and literally they allowed the teams to drive the buses out into the stadium so players could leave the sidelines Jeez. and get in the buses to warm warm up so it was that was that was the coldest the 2014 montana state playoff game was one degree at kickoff the year before at eastern washington was 12 degrees above zero the two coldest playoff games the jacks have played in um is everyone available on offense and defense on saturday offense uh one guy's questionable defense two, offense two guys are questionable off de, offense two defense three so we got five guys that are questionable that's clear as mud we, we, literally literally today in our meeting we were trying to figure out who we could dress, you know, because wow. through freshmen, you play one more game, they lose their eligibility. Yeah. So li literally, we may only dress 62 rather than 64. This is dangerous. Are fans allowed to use cowbells during the playoffs? Only if they're Keith Jensen. That was well done. Uh, very well done. He, he, he He's the man. Uh, th this leads into our discussion here of Montana State. Uh, touchdown Tommy Malott, who came breaking onto the scene in the playoffs last year is one of two quarterbacks Montana State will use offensively. The Bobcats, the number four seed, their only loss is to an FBS team in Oregon State, and Malott is a run-pass threat, but this is a team that runs the football. They are the number one rushing offense in all of the FCS, and Malott leads the way for them. He, uh, They'll use two quarterbacks, so let's talk about the two-quarterback system and Malott in particular. Well, Malad is just a great football player. He's uh, somewhat a local guy, uh, so he's a, a hero. Uh, he's got great athletic ability. He throws the ball really well. He's not necessarily 6'4", uh, a huge guy, but again, just a great competitor and, and a scary guy when he's got the ball in his hands. Uh, Chambers' kid is a much bigger guy. They use him uh, kind of like a... They call it Wildcat, you know, but he's a quarterback. Malat then is a Wildcat, too, then. Yeah. And he's more of a short yardage because he's so big, uh, gets a lot of first downs. They 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 go for it on fourth down. They've they've been successful 70% of the time. That is phenomenal for a football team. And that's one of the reasons they have great time of possession. One of the reasons they rush for 330 yards a game. That's a, that's a long day for your opponent if you rush for 330. They've only turned it over three times in the last nine games. And again, Malad has thrown 191 passes. Chambers has thrown 71. So both will throw it. Then you throw in Isaiah Afonso into the mix, who is the all-time leading rusher in Montana State history at running back. He was injured leading into our playoff matchup in the semis a year ago, missed the entire regular season, but he's rushed for 253 yards in a couple of playoff games. Good player. Really, really. He's a complete back. Uh, very shifty. Runs hard. Um, you know, they're they're trending. They're getting guys back. And, uh, you know, that's good for those guys. Defensively, uh, they technically are a 4-2. Is that how you look at them with five defensive backs? Or how do you look yeah, at we, them? We call the one guy Sam. So we look at it as a 4-3. Okay. Uh, our coaches have been calling him nickel, but you know it's different than the last two teams we've played, where a guy can go from the nickel to the safety when you go in motion. Their sandbacker, their nickel guy, is always the edge guy, and uh, play with uh, play with uh, uh, two inside linebackers. Th th this defense is really good, also. I mean, their their first team All Conference guys come from their defensive side of the ball. The I can't pronounce, you know, Valdez is Sebastian that, Valdez, number yeah, 95. Valdez, he's he's a phenomenal guy. You want to watch a really good football player, number 95, their three technique is uh, phenomenal. They, there's a bunch of them. Seven and a half sacks on the year, and they're very good at forcing turnovers. 25 overall, including a nation-best 13 forced fumbles they have recovered this year. Yeah, they're, they're aggressive. They run to the ball. Uh, they hit you. 
they're 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 not real complicated. But again, when you're a good defense, instead of messing your guys up by a bunch of scheme, line up and play football and make us beat them. Make your opponent move the ball. They've only punted four times in the last four games as well. So they have a good special teams unit. Their kicker is very good, Glessner, but they haven't needed them a whole lot the way things have worked out. They've only punted 39 times, I think, in the whole season. Yeah. So again, go for it on fourth down and be successful or, or not. You're, you're not punting there. And then uh, the way they rush the ball, you're going to have four or five, get the first down. It's it's a tough uh, scenario. 30 seconds, keys to victory on Saturday. I think the two defenses, yeah. I think uh, uh, how who, who plays the best defense against uh, uh, the respective offense. All right, Coach, good luck, and uh, we'll see you back here in January should you be victorious, all right? Sounds good. All right, that's John Stiglmeyer. I'm Tyler Merriam. Thanks for joining us here at Cubby's Sports Bar and Grill, and we'll see you next time on the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield.